0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show. Of course, I am heavy sports NFL insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Dynamite show on tap for you. Buffalo Bills starting quarterback Josh Allen joins us ahead of the My Cause, My Cleats game on Thursday night against the New England Patriots. We'll get his thoughts on why this offense is firing on all cylinders, the impact that his injury has had or not had on his game over the past several weeks and his outlook for the rest of this season and a whole lot more. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe in the Apple podcast store, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, throw us a like on YouTube, check us out there, subscribe there as well. And if you really enjoy the guests, if you enjoy the analysis, go ahead and leave us those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, maybe a guest or two that you'd love to hear from. We'll go and bring them on. But those five-star reviews, they really help grow the show and we really appreciate them here on the program. A a lot going on across the NFL this week, right? I think that on Sunday night in Philadelphia, the Eagles further cemented their status as a team to beat. I know the Packers are banged up. I know Aaron Rodgers is banged up. I know that that run defense is historically bad. I get it. But 326 rushing yards, that was a statement. What the Cowboys did this weekend on Thursday against the Giants, that defense continues to announce its presence to the rest of the league and announce that the Cowboys are for real. And on the flip side of that coin, the Denver Broncos are an absolute mess. And also on Thanksgiving, Josh Allen had a big game. And of course, this is a conversation that I've really been looking forward to. We are now joined by MVP candidate across the NFL, Buffalo Bills star quarterback, Josh Allen, joins the Matt Lombardo show. Josh, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on.
0: Of course, happy to have you here. And, you know, one of my favorite moments, one of my favorite weeks when I was still a beat reporter and in locker rooms every single week was leading into the My Cause, My Cleats game, seeing all of the different designs, all the cool, colorful causes and charitable outreaches that were designed into the cleats. Tell me what you have coming up for your game on Thursday night against the Patriots. What are your cleats going to look like? Yeah, man,
1: like you said, though, this is a week where, you know, us as players get to show some personality. It shows what we care about and, you know, that we're humans off the field and on the field. So every time we step on the field, there's something that we're playing for. And I think this kind of shows a sneak peek of what guys are playing for. And um, this year I got to partner with Gillette and they uh, found an artist, Joshua Vides, who designed my cleats for the Ashai Children's Hospital. It's got the Patricia Allen uh, or Patricia Allen Fund logo on the side. It's got a heart on it. It's got the OCH blocks. Um, it's got the member 17, member 17 on the back. And I've got six signatures from kids at the hospital, too. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's it's it turned out to be really awesome. I'm excited to wear them. Um, you know, this is gonna and everybody knows that after the game, they'll be auctioned off on NFL.com slash auction. Uh, and Gillette's actually going to be matching that offer as well. Um, and now all those benefits and proceeds go straight to the Ashai Children's Hospital through the Patricia Allen Fund, which is so near, near and dear to my heart. Um, and this year is really cool, too, because um Mac Jones, he's also got the same artist and does designing his cleats as well. So it's kind of this, this cool duel between uh, obviously rival teams, um, but we're both fighting and playing for uh, things that are near and dear to our hearts that help a lot of different people.
0: And the same designer, which is really cool. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing on Thursday night is really someone that's become a trend in your offense since week one. And one of the things that impressed me the most about your guys' offense, your passing game, the versatility, is the emergence of Gabriel Davis. Because everybody knows Stefan Diggs. Everybody knows you got to double-team him, shade of safety over the top. Gabriel Davis is a guy that he'd be a number one wide receiver on like 20 teams across the league, in my opinion. What makes him so special? And, and what's really powered your guys' connection throughout the course of this year?
1: Yeah, I think if you look at Gabe, you know, he's, he's a guy that's a student of the game. He learns extremely quick. He knows every position on our offense. Um, so when I'm looking out there, I, I know exactly what he's going to do because he knows exactly what's going on uh, every every given play. He works his freaking tail off. Um, I love the guy. He goes in there. And he digs out a safety. He digs out a linebacker. He'll block an end, uh, and then he'll run by the corner in safety and go make a contested catch. So the guy just does it all. He, he, he's awesome to play with. He doesn't have this me-type personality. It's always about the team. Um, and we got a guy that, again, constantly does the right things, is always in the right spots. He's typically going to have a lot of success. And, you know, we're still getting him incorporated into our offense and still trying to find new ways to get him the ball um, because he is a tough runner as well. Um, but I freaking love the guy. He's awesome.
0: Is there something about his game that makes him just a matchup nightmare for defensive backs that, that maybe you might have picked up on in practice early on and now it's translated into the games?
1: He's, he's just so strong. He's yeah. – He's a big physical receiver, and I don't think people give him enough credit for that. Like when when DBs try to get their hands on him, they're they're getting off. Like he's gonna wipe them off. So um, yeah, he he just he's he's angry at the attack point of the ball too. He's fun to throw to.
0: And you know, there's been so much made about your injury that you've been dealing with, you know, over the last couple of weeks. But you watch the game against Minnesota. You watch the game on Thanksgiving in Detroit. I don't see anything that's changed in terms of your skill set in terms of you're, you're not you know, worried about tucking the ball and running. Has that injury impacted you at all on Sundays or is it just something that you've been dealing with and, and basically going about business as usual?
1: Yeah, I think it's just kind of a, a, a dealing, uh, type injury where it's like doing small things that might just kind of jump on you like, Ooh, that didn't, that didn't feel great. But in terms of throwing the ball and playing the game of football, um, it's, it's all the same. And it's, it once, once I'm on the fields, I try to block everything out and there's really nothing that can bother me. So um, yeah, when I'm on that field, it, it doesn't bother me at all.
0: And, and, you know, you look at where you guys are positioned right now and the author, everybody knows what you guys have on offense, what you bring to the table, all the weapons there. How big of a sigh of relief was it to find out that Von Miller's injury wasn't a torn ACL, that he wasn't going to be out for the year? Because, you know, to me, his emergence and the defense stepping up—that's really been the next step of your guys' evolution as a team. How how big of a relief was it to know that Von is going to come back at some point? And what has he meant to you guys as a whole in, in your run to a possible Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, big relief. Um, you know, he's he's an extremely dominant, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, his credentials kind of speak for themselves. But you know, the mindset, the mentality, the leadership that he's brought to this team is something that I didn't expect. And the guys, how much they appreciate him and respect him, whatever he says, he means it. He's all about winning football games. And, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate him so greatly for coming here and, you know, allowing him to be a part of our team. Um, It's really cool. And again, he's just another guy in the locker room that demands respect and, He just does things the right way. Every time you see him, he's he's either working out. Now he's just constantly rehabbing 24-7, trying to get back as quickly as possible. Um, So whenever that happens, he's going to be ready to go. And, uh, you know, he came here for a reason. So we got to go out there and prove him right of why he came here.
0: And one of the things that you guys certainly didn't expect was snowmageddon. You know, Hmm. take me through that whole situation, playing two games in Detroit in five days, flying back and forth, let alone the on-field preparation what went into your life that week behind the scenes that fans might not realize or have the chance to have heard about?
1: Well, I think it was, uh, you know, two days prior to that, we had a bunch of guys that were sick. So we didn't have a practice. We had a walkthrough, had a small practice on Thursday, I believe. It might've been another walkthrough. We're supposed to have practice on Friday. We get snowed in so we can't get to the facility. We don't, we're not able to meet Saturday and we're, we're supposed to be able to, like we're supposed to fly out Saturday. And, um, I think everybody saw the videos of Bill's mafia coming to the rescue for a bunch of different guys and getting their snowplows and shovels and helping, um, you know, dig cars out and driveways out to allow us to try to make it to Detroit, but just the ups and downs and the, the, I guess, roller coaster of emotions, um, was, it was insane. It was so high and so low. And our, our guys were able to, uh, you know, weather the storm and, and find a way to win a football game after all the, like we could have used that as, as an excuse. And, uh, we didn't. We found a way to win, and then we understood that you know we've got a short rest, uh, playing four days later back in Detroit. Um, and again, our guys handled it in such a good way that uh, we got a lot of pros that care about each other and care about their jobs here in, in Buffalo. Um, and again, we were able to find a way to get it done.
0: Did anyone have to dig you out? Did a fan have to come and? Yes, you know Yes. This-
1: yeah. So I actually, I, I got to hear that story. Yeah. So I had to trek uh, probably about 700 feet to my gate. Um, because it got snowed in and wouldn't wasn't able to open, so a plow guy couldn't get through. So I mean, I about I about passed out on the way back because it was it was so I mean so much snow. I'm trekking through it. Um, and taller I just than thought, you,
0: taller than yeah, you, I think. At that point, right?
1: It, it was it was up there. So it took, it exerted a lot of energy out of me. But um, you know, one of our one of my neighbors, his name's Sproul him and uh, another guy named Mark Braun, they were just going through all of their neighbor's house and just kind of clearing the way for everybody. And that just kind of speaks volumes about the type of people that are here in Buffalo. And it's known as the city of good neighbors for a reason. And, um, you know, it really spoke, spoke to its name this last week.
0: Josh, I love the fans that come to your rescue, get you back, you know, get you on your way to the facility to get to the airport, to get to the game. Without them, you might have been snowed in. I, I love the story. I appreciate you sharing it. Before I let you go, one more time. Tell people how they can find out more about your cleats and where they can go uh, to participate in the auction after Thursday's game.
1: Well, again, we're wearing them this Thursday. Um, obviously, it's Thursday night game on Amazon Prime. And then the auction will be taking place at NFL.com slash auction. And again, one more time, Gillette's going to match that, out, that, uh, that number right there. So uh, let's try to get it as high as possible.
0: Get your bids in now. Make Gillette write a big check and support a great cause. Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills quarterback, a pleasure as always, Josh. Appreciate you taking the time and best of luck the rest of the way.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. Have a good one.
0: Really great stuff there. I love the story of Bills Mafia coming to the rescue of their starting quarterback, their MVP, him trudging through the snow just to get to the gate so they can dig him out and get him to the facility, to the plane, to get to Detroit for that game against the Cleveland Browns during that blizzard up in Buffalo. Great story, great insight there. And again, you know, I really believe that one of the biggest reasons that the Buffalo Bills are this tough to beat, especially now, especially with Allen being a little bit banged up, especially with some hiccups the last couple of weeks on offense in the middle of games where they kind of, you know, go to sleep for a little bit is that defense and Von Miller and the injury on Thanksgiving to Von Miller. I think that that probably had a lot of people around the city of Buffalo holding their breath. I think a lot of people were pretty worried that that might've been an ACL, especially how quickly they ruled Von Miller out of that game. The fact that he was carted to the locker room, but they're going to get him back at some point. And all that really matters to the bills is what happens in the postseason. That is what matters. It doesn't matter what happens down the stretch. They have some breathing room, at least over the Kansas City Chiefs, if they can get back to that level and and, and tie them. They have the tiebreaker from the head to head. But getting Miller back in the postseason, that's what matters most. And one team in the AFC that isn't going to sniff the postseason this year, not even going to come close, even after trading for Russell Wilson, even after some big moves in the offseason are the Denver Broncos. And after what I saw on Sunday afternoon in Carolina, after I saw what DJ Moore and Sam Darnold did to Patrick Sertain, after I saw Mike Purcell, one of the defensive linemen for the the Denver Broncos, get in Russell Wilson's face, it's time. It is time for the Broncos to move on from head coach Nathaniel Hackett. I wouldn't even wait till the end of the year. I would pull the ripcord right here, right now. And if you read my... Monday morning column on heavy.com. If you haven't, go check it out. 10 takeaways from the weekend. Denver's a total mess. And I think that that was rock bottom. That was the nadir of their season on Sunday in Charlotte. And I spoke to an NFL general manager who told me, quote, he thinks the Broncos are going to at least look into firing Nathaniel Hackett because there's not a lot of hope there, unquote. That's a GM in the league today seeing what's happening in Denver, thinks that they're going to at least think about moving on from Nathaniel Hackett. I, I'll go one step further. I think they have to fire. I think they have to fire. They're a mess. And, and you know, you lose to the Panthers. It, it feels like that is rock bottom. It feels like losing to Sam Darnold is as bad as it gets. But based on the way Russell Wilson has played this year, I, I don't know that it can't get worse. I don't know that it can't get worse from here. Sunday afternoon. Here's how bad Russell Wilson was against the Panthers, right? The Broncos averaged 3.3 yards per passing play. Just contrast that with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and the Bengals averaged 7.7 yards per pass. Ryan Tannehill and the Titans averaged 8 yards per pass. Darnold averaged over 8 yards per passing play. I sound like a broken record here. The Broncos offense is broken. And don't forget, Nathaniel Hackett was hired in the first place to fix that side of the ball. And there's a lot of talent there. You know, Jerry Judy has really underperformed. He is not the player that they thought they were getting in the first round. You look at K.J. Hamler. He's made a couple of nice plays, but I still go back to that that game at the end of the game against the Colts a few weeks ago where he's wide open in the back of the end zone and Russell Wilson doesn't even see him. The missed opportunities and the inability to develop young talent, that falls back on the head coach as well. Forget about all of the poor clock management. Forget about the home fans counting down the play clock to make sure that the offense knows how much time is left because the head coach isn't managing the clock properly. Forget all that. You're not developing talent. Your quarterback is regressing. He might be done, by the way. At his age, he might be done. Russell Wilson's the number 32-ranked quarterback in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. Not great. Not great. Not what you want to see when you commit $165 million guaranteed over the life of his deal that you signed him to when there was no real reason to. They, they signed him to that contract sight unseen, which is why I think this also puts George Payton right in the hot seat. Because I don't know, if, I, if I'm the, the Waltons, if I'm the Walton family, the $39 million cap hit is a drop in the bucket. It, it's a rounding error to me to move on from Russell Wilson. But if I'm thinking about cutting that kind of a check, I don't think I want to bring back the GM who brought him in and then signed him sight unseen to that extension. Here's how bad the Broncos' passing offense has been, by the way. They're 19th in the league in passing offense, 24th in total offense. It's not working. It's not working. I I don't know if they hired Nathaniel Hackett thinking that they could get Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if they hired Nathaniel Hackett thinking that at the time they were going to try to develop Drew Locke. I, I don't know what they were thinking there. But it's, you know, square peg into a round hole with Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson as the head coach quarterback duo. Here's the problem they find themselves in. Of course, we talked about the cap hit for for Russell Wilson. But if you're not going to move on, if you're not going to, you know, bite the bullet and move on from him, you're locked into an aging quarterback. You're locked into a quarterback who through his career relied as much with his ability to be a playmaker with his legs on the run as a passer from the pocket, you have to find some way to piecemeal an offense over what he is now. Because the Russell Wilson we're seeing in Denver is a shell of the player that we saw in Seattle for his entire career. He's not the same player. You need to piecemeal together and figure out a way to build some sort of semi-functional offense. Hackett's not the guy. He's just not. You're 3-8. and eight. Your offense is ranked 24th in total offense. 19th in passing offense with Russell, Russell Wilson as your quarterback. It's not working. And as a scouting director told me, there's no saving this season. You have to look to the future. And that future shouldn't include Nathaniel Hackett. But one name that I think is really a guy to watch in terms of potential head coaching hires this hiring cycle might even be the top candidate of the incoming list this offseason is Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. I watched the Lions offense and, and, you know, got to see two full games from them. Obviously, you know, I watch every game between Red Zone and, and the two games that are broadcast locally here in the Philadelphia area every week. But I've gotten to see the, the Detroit Lions two weeks in a row against the Giants and then on Thanksgiving against the Bills. And that offense is an NFL general manager's dream for somebody who's trying to rebuild an offense from the ground up, trying to find a way to win with a roster that might not be loaded with talent. And I watched that game on Thanksgiving, and I came away really believing that Ben Johnson is going to be this hiring cycle's Brian Dable. He's the name that keeps coming up in conversations that I have with people inside the league. He's one of the hottest commodities. He's a breakout star. And you look at what the Lions have done, he checks all all of the boxes that teams look for. Because if you're looking for a head coach, unless you are you just won the Super Bowl when you had the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're Bill Cowher and Cowher rides off into the sunset, chances are if you're hiring a head coach, you're not very good. And your roster isn't very talented, right? And you're trying to maximize the players that you have without having to spend big to build around them. And you're trying to win now. Win as many games as you can. Build a culture like Dable is. Building a culture in New York. Ben Johnson does all that. When you look at how the Lions are winning on offense, how they took the Buffalo Bills down to the wire, had them on the ropes in the fourth quarter, into the final 20 seconds of that game before Allen took it over, they're winning by running the football, and especially in the red zone. Only the Eagles have a higher red zone percentage than the Lions scoring touchdowns at a 71.4% clip. The rest of the top seven in that category in red zone offense, they're all going to make the playoffs. They're all safely inside the playoff picture today. And GMs and organizations love coaches who get more out of their roster than the talent dictates that they should. Johnson's done that. It's also a copycat league. And teams see the success the Eagles are having running the football because as much as we want to talk about A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and before we got hurt, Dallas Goddard, the Eagles are at their best when that offensive line is road grading and when you can get downhill and run the football. The Lions are having really similar success running the football, especially inside the 20-yard line. Detroit 16 rushing touchdowns, third in the NFL. The Lions have four, year, four runs of 40 yards or more, also third in the league. And that's only one shy of tying the league lead. Johnson has some pretty innovative play concepts in his playbook, and that's why I think he's going to get hired. And, and I honestly think that when you talk about possible Nathaniel Hackett replacements in Denver, Johnson's a great fit. He really is. Wilson, like we talked about, can still get the job done in a run-oriented scheme where he's asked more to be a game manager than someone who you have to win because, who has to lead you to victory. And there's a lot of uncertainty about just how good the talent is in Denver right now, especially on offense. Ben Johnson can do what he's doing with the Lions talent. I think he's a guy who comes in and sees immediate success with the Denver Broncos. And similarly, I've talked about D'Amico Ryans on this show multiple times, written about him multiple times, be it in the the Sunday takeaway column on Monday morning or my Wednesday column, Heavy in the Trenches. D'Amico Ryans is going to be a head coach this offseason. There's no doubt in my mind. He might even be one of the first coaches hired because that's just how impressive he's been this year on top of an already pretty stellar resume as a defensive coordinator. The Niners have won four straight games, right? And over that stretch, D'Amico Ryan's defense has held the opponents to just 10 points per game. His blitz concepts, exotic as hell. You think that they're going to be coming off the edge? No, they're going to stunt Bosa up the middle and bring him right up the A-gap. You think that, you know, you're going to see a corner blitz? Nope, they're going to drop into coverage. It Leaves quarterback seeing ghosts week after week in games, right? Secondary, stifling. It's really hard to throw on the Niners, as you saw Sunday afternoon, with a couple of turnovers in, in big spots. His players love playing for him. And speaking to some of D'Amico Ryan's former teammates from Philadelphia from his playing days, it was obvious early on that he's a leader and he was a coach on the field back then. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator, and he's going to make a great head coach, in my opinion. I think he gets hired pretty quickly this offseason. So I wouldn't be shocked if the two coaches that are hired first are Ben Johnson, the Lions' offensive coordinator, And D'Amico Ryans. And speaking of Ryans. Speaking of the 49ers. If there's one NFC playoff game. That I would really love to see. That I'm counting down for. I really can't wait to see the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. That's a game. That I think would have game of the year potential. That's a game. It could be an NFC championship game preview, depending on how the bracket shakes out. Because if there's one team in the NFC that I think has the chance to beat Philly, it's the 49ers. Because if the Eagles have one vulnerability and, and I give Howie Roseman a lot of credit for stepping up in season and and trying to solve this, bringing in Linval Joseph and Adama Kansu across that front seven, really turning it into a pro bowl caliber front seven of a defense. But if the Eagles still have an Achilles heel, it's their rushing defense. You'll get the 49ers. Since they traded for Christian McCaffrey, the Niners have averaged 130 rushing yards per game. 130! The Eagles are at their best, of course, when the offensive line, we talked about it, is dictating to opponents. And when you can gash teams with a backfield duo like Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell, and you saw it Sunday night involving Jalen Hurts in the running game as well with some big plays, some scrambles, some design quarterback runs. They're at their best when they can run the ball, and they ran for 363 against the Packers. But the 49ers rushing defense, it's the stingiest in the NFL. They're only allowing 79.5 yards per game. And I'm not saying the 49ers will beat the Eagles. So Eagles fans, put the pitchforks away. You don't have to come at me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. You don't have to do any of that. I'm not saying the 49ers are going to beat the Eagles. But I think that they are best positioned and best built to take down Philadelphia. And judging by all the pieces they have on place on both sides of the ball, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Garoppolo playing some of the best football of his career as we've seen over the last couple of weeks and all the disruptive talent they have on defense at all three levels, defensive line, linebackers, secondary. They're the team with all the pieces in place to do it. They're the team that I would give the best chance to upset the Eagles and and to be that team that comes out of nowhere and makes a run to the title game or the Super Bowl. I think they're the one team that could keep Philadelphia out of their second Super Bowl since 2017. They're getting hot at the right time. They're winning with defense. They're winning with running the football. And how do you win in January? How do you win on the road in the Northeast in 30-mile-an-hour winds, 10-degree temperatures, swirling snow? You win by running the football and punching your opponent in the mouth on defense. The Niners do that, and they're a fun team to watch. They're a bunch of bullies, if you ask me. That's a game that I hope we get to see on the road to the Super Bowl. And speaking of defense, we really need to start talking about Micah Parsons as a possible MVP. I know the conversation has been Defensive Player of the Year and all that, and that's fine. But when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, they're also a team that I think could play spoiler in the NFC. They're a team that has all the pieces in place to make a run. And Dan Quinn's defense is a huge reason why. And Micah Parsons, he's an MVP – an MVP candidate. Dan Quinn's defense is a huge reason why. And Micah Parsons is a centerpiece of that defense. He's a potential MVP in his second season because his performance this year has been absolutely staggering. He has 12 sacks, he has six games of two sacks. So he's getting to the quarterback quite often on top of all the pressures and all the quarterback hits. He's the most disruptive defender on the most disruptive defense in the game today, and he's on pace for 18 and a half sacks. That's a big number. It's a really big number. Lawrence Taylor won the MVP in 1986 with 20 and a half sacks. Parsons has already forced three fumbles through the Cowboys' first 11 games, and he's one of the few players in the game today that you have to account for on every single play. I know it's a quarterback-driven award, the MVP is. I know it's an offensive-oriented league that points matter, high-flying offenses and highlight real plays matter most. But Micah Parsons should be getting serious MVP consideration. And with ranked choice voting, where the voters can list their choices one, two, or three, I think there's a very real chance that based on his production, he's going to get even third and second place votes, that there's a very real chance Michael Parsons could steal the MVP award. And I think it's deserved. I really do. I think that there are a few players in this game that make as big of an impact on the defensive side of the ball as Michael Parsons does, as Michael Parsons is this season. And that's not the only award that I think has some room to debate because we can all talk about the MVP hierarchy and we can talk about Patrick Mahomes probably being... The runaway favorite right now, which I think he is, based on how he's playing. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts being in the conversation, Tua Tungaviloa being in the conversation, Joe Burrow playing his way into the conversation, Micah Parsons as well. But the Coach of the Year award is another award that I think people have a misconception about right now. I don't think people are looking at Coach of the Year and and this year's field the way that they should, because there's this thought out there, and it mostly comes from Giant fans. And I get it. I I covered that team for a handful of years every single day. I, I, you know, put on battle armor against Giants fans, even when I thought that I was being fair and at times praising the Giants. But there's this thought out there that Nick Sirianni shouldn't be the NFL coach of the year because the Eagles are, quote, an all-star team, unquote. Yeah, you know, you watch the Eagles. And the game plan is typically pretty flawless, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I can't think of a game all year where I thought that the Eagles offense didn't rise to the occasion. Even the loss to the commanders. Yeah, they could have made some adjustments. They could have played ball control a little bit in the second half. But if they don't fumble that fourth quarter pass in the red zone, maybe that goes differently. If Brandon Graham doesn't take that, kind of senseless but accidental penalty at the end of the game, you know, hitting Taylor Heineke when he, you know, gave himself up and Jalen Hurts gets the ball back, maybe that game ends differently. But you look at this team right now, Nick Sirianni's played a really significant role in developing Jalen Hurts into an MVP candidate in his second season. Sirianni's players really love playing for him. And remember... This isn't Major League Baseball. This isn't the NBA where all it takes is a big three and you can win a title with them. Sirianni has struck all the right chords in that locker room. It's a veteran locker room, a star-studded group, no doubt. But in the NFL, in football, where egos come into play, where you have guys that need to play unselfishly who might not want to, he has that entire team entirely all in. That's why I think he belie- he belongs at the top of the coach of the year hierarchy. And to this all-star team comment and belief, do people not remember Washington in 2000 and all the money they spent bringing in elite talent only to finish 8-8 eight and eight with a loaded roster? In 1996, the Jets signed Neil O'Donnell thinking he's going to be the savior coming in from Pittsburgh. Jumbo Elliott, they bring in Jeff Graham. That was an all-star team. It was viewed as one. They went 1-15. 1-15 with an all-star team. Or the Eagles in 2011. They had Namdi Asamoah. They had Dominic Rogers cromartie They had Vince Young. They had Ronnie Brown. They bring in Jason Babin. I was there at Lehigh at training camp in the press conference when Vince Young was asked what he thinks of this roster, and he goes, ha dream team. Vince Young called the Eagles a dream team. They went 8-8. Eight and eight after entering the season as Super Bowl favorites. But yet because the Eagles are 10-1, because Howie Roseman is the runaway favorite for executive of the year because of the job that he did building out this roster and this depth chart from top to bottom, somehow Nick Sirianni doesn't deserve merit as coach of the year? Miss me with that. Got no time for that. With that said, here's my coach of the year hierarchy. Sirianni Mm -hmm. at the top of the list for all the reasons we just talked about. Number two, Mike McDaniel, the Miami Dolphins head coach, because what that offense has turned into has been nothing short of prolific. Tua has played his way into the MVP conversation. Jalen Waddell, Tariq Hill, they can blow a game open, any game, at any time, at any moment. They have all the pieces. They have a lot of talent. They knocked off the Buffalo Bills at home, punched them in the mouth, went the distance, beat them. They're one of the best teams in football that no one's talking about. And Mike McDaniel is doing that in his first season. He's doing everything that Brian Dable is doing in New York, but with more success. Now, granted, he has a better roster, but he beat the Bills. They're firing on all cylinders. It's a prolific offense. He's an offensive mind. Mike McDaniel would be my second choice for coach of the year. And number three, it's Brian Dable because – What he's done has been really impressive. And if the season ended after nine weeks, there'd be no competition. He'd run away with that award. Because what they've been able to do in New York, what they've been able to get out of a still pretty limited Daniel Jones productivity, what they've been able to do revitalizing Saquon Barkley, what they were able to do For a stretch there on defense with Don Wink Martindale and a swarming front seven and all of these exotic blitz packages and creating turnovers left and right and center. Yeah, that was impressive. It's still pretty impressive what they've done. But as we've talked about, as Joe Banner mentioned on this show a few weeks ago, the Giants problems are starting to come home to roost a little bit here. You can't start four backup offensive linemen because you're hurt. Again, injuries are out of the control of the head coach. You can't start three sub-NFL caliber wide receivers. Again, he doesn't pick the talent. And now your secondary is kind of besieged by injuries as well. You can't have all of that adversity happen and expect to compete. You just can't. And it's a shame because I look at what Brian Dable did through the first half of this season. It was one of the more impressive coaching jobs that I've ever seen in all of my years covering this league and watching it as a fan, Right? But if the Giants end up 7-10 and 10 or 8-9, and nine, which seems pretty likely at this point after their fast start, it's a real possibility based on all the adversity they're facing now, then you're going to look back on 2022 as a great table-setting year for Brian Dable. You're going to look back at 2022 and say, man, those first nine games, that really established the culture, and maybe that carries through. But I don't know how you award the Coach of the Year award to a guy who had a great performance and a great team for nine weeks, and then adversity struck, and it all came crashing down to earth. The Giants' ceiling, unfortunately for New York, is significantly lower for 2022 today than it was a month ago. It's just my opinion. So I think Dable has been a runaway success. I think Giants have Giants fans have every reason to be optimistic about the future because of Brian Dable. And I think the future is pretty bright in New York, especially if they can figure out the quarterback situation, whether it's continuing to build around Daniel Jones and his strengths or finding an upgrade this off season. But I just don't think that that's his award to lose anymore. Brian table my, my top three, as we said, my coach of the year hierarchy, Nick Siriani, Mike McDaniel and Brian Dable. We've talked about a couple of awards. Let's give out an award off of last week's performance, the Lombardo Trophy. You know we give it out every week on the show to the unit or individual who had the bust-out performance, the standout performance of the week. And this was an easy one. There wasn't much debate here. There wasn't any reason to overthink this one. It's Josh Jacobs. It's the Raiders running back Josh Jacobs who rushed for a franchise record 229 yards and two touchdowns, including the 86-yard game winner right up the gut, right up the heart, right through the heart of the Seattle Seahawks defense. And I had an NFL offensive coach tell me after the game, he was watching it. His team wasn't playing. He said, the reason that Josh Jacobs busted out was because the Seahawks have pathetic run fills. Now, I don't think that's fair. I think Jacobs played really well. When you set a franchise record, it wasn't by accident just because of a bad defense, but that was one of the more impressive individual performances by any running back in any game this season, certainly any running back, that we've seen this past Sunday. Josh Jacobs takes home the Lombardo trophy. And finally, the pick of the week. This is a fun one every week. And, you know, as always, if you're riding with me, the pick of the week, by the way, is the Cincinnati Bengals plus two and a half against the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're going Bengals, if you're playing the Bengals this week, screenshot your bet at FanDuel, tweet me, the screenshot of your betting slip at Matt Lombardo NFL, and we'll shout you out on the show next week. But this feels like game of the week. This feels like the game that you circle on your calendar and you say, I can't wait for that one. It's the game you look forward to all year. It's the game going into Sunday that you can't wait to watch. And it's a double revenge game for the Chiefs after what happened last year in the title game and in the regular season in Cincinnati. And they're back in Cincy. They're back in the building where they got absolutely housed in the regular season by the Bengals. And they're catching Cincinnati at the right time. Even without Jamar Chase, that was a monster performance for Joe Burrow in Tennessee in a litmus test barometer situation in a rematch of the AFC divisional game from a year ago. He goes out and throws for 270 and a touchdown. But more importantly, the Bengals offensive line held up. And the Bengals' offensive line is really starting to live up to the expectations that you had after they went out and brought in Karras and after they brought in Lael Collins and made the upgrades that they made. That veteran line is finally starting to gel. Titans couldn't even breathe on Joe Burrow. If you're going to blitz Joe Burrow, good luck. He's going to pick you apart, slashing and dashing underneath, just like he did against Tennessee. If you can't generate pressure without blitzing, which the Titans couldn't do, you're done. He's just going to carve you up. And the same argument goes for Patrick Mahomes. Don't blitz him. Whatever you do, don't blitz Mahomes. Bad things happen. Bad things happen when you blitz Patrick Mahomes. And the Chiefs are red hot. You saw what they did on Sunday afternoon against the Rams. Made it look pretty easy. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, again, firing on all cylinders. And they're playing some of their best football at the season, peaking at the right time, which is why I think this has a chance to be a really great game. These are two of the five or six best teams in the NFL right now, in my opinion. And I think that if the Bengals win this game, it's time to start really taking their chances seriously of going back to a Super Bowl this year for a second straight year. They have the pieces. They have the quarterback. And for the Chiefs, they certainly have arguably the most gifted quarterback in the NFL. They have a top two or three supporting cast around them. They haven't really skipped a beat despite losing Tyreek Hill. I don't know that the Bengals win the game, but they keep it close. And I love Cincinnati getting two and a half at home. Against the Chiefs, the Bengals are the pick of the week. Great show. A lot of fun. Thanks to Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills quarterback, MVP candidate Josh Allen, for dropping by. Really appreciated the conversation and the insight from Josh. Make sure you check out the auction for his My Cause, My Cleats, presented by Gillette. Thanks to Thomas Darrow. Tremendous job, as always, producing this podcast. Just instrumental to getting this show up and running each and every week. We couldn't do it without him. And if you enjoy the podcast, once again, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, throw us a like on YouTube, and leave those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. They really do help grow the show. You can follow me on Twitter, at MattLombardoNFL. You can check me out on Heavy.com every Monday, Wednesday, and every other day of the week in between. Check out the columns. Enjoy the week, everybody. Enjoy the games. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.